All right. Let's see here. I got 30 minutes to make it happen. John chapter 6. And I'll begin reading at verse 1. And the Bible reads, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went on, went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, verse 11, and when he had given thanks, he distribute, distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. I call your attention to verse 9 where Andrew says, there is a lad, a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? So today for our unsung Bible story, let's talk briefly on the subject of a lad and his lunch. A lad and his lunch. Let's pray. Dad, thank you. That these stories have been recorded and preserved, that we may grow in our faith. Thank you that you have not left us without a word. You've given us the prophecy of Scripture, the written word. We are without excuse. Forgive us for not reading it and meditating on it and memorizing it and applying it the way that we should. But we thank you for this opportunity to hear the word taught. Lord, I'm so glad it's not up to me today. It's always up to you. Thank you for the gift that you've given me through the Spirit to expound on your word. And we rely on the same Spirit to lead us into all truth. And once we hear the word, to be doers of it as well. So, Lord, let us enjoy the text so much so that it makes us want to go home and read the Bible and not just wait to hear the Bible on Sunday. So give us that hunger and that thirst, that desire for your word. 
and for the God of the word. We give you the praise in advance. I know you're going to talk to somebody starting with me. Give us all ears to hear what you're saying to this church in this hour, in this moment. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you're here with us today for the first time, last Sunday, we focused on the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 that John calls a sign. And there are several signs that John records in his gospel account so that the world may see and know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And so last week we talked about how the people had a need and Jesus met the need. And we decided last week that we should never, ever skip verse 6 because no matter what kind of trial, no matter what kind of test we go through, the Lord knows what he's going to do. We may not know what to do, but the Lord always knows what he's going to do. So everything is a test of our faith. Are we going to believe God or not? Are we going to lean on our own understanding or are we going to rest on the rock that does not roll. So even when I don't know, I know that he knows and that should cause me to be at peace and at rest. They had no idea how they were going to feed 5,000 people, could have possibly been 10 to 15 or 20,000 people if each man came with a family. So there was a whole lot of people out there to hear Jesus speak and Jesus met their need and we were encouraged. Don't skip verse 6 when you're in the midst of a test where you seem to be overwhelmed that the fact that the need that you're facing is greater than the resources that you have at your disposal. But don't worry about it. You're being tested. And most of the times when we're being tested, you know, when James chapter 1 talks about counting all joy when you encounter various tests and trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance. But let patience have its perfect work so that we may be entire and complete, lacking nothing. And when you read the context of James chapter 1, he starts talking about money. So a lot of our tests have to do with money. Are we going to trust that God not only owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but he also owns the hills on which they graze? And many of our tests also involve things that involve our bodies. But no matter the test... God will never give his disciples, his students, his pupils a test that they cannot pass. He is not interested in you passing out from a test. He wants you to pass the test as we rely on him as Jonathan led us in worship and reminding us of those principles. He will allow us to be broken down so that he can come through and be the savior and save the day. And he saved the day that day. Because everybody went up out of there with their bellies full. And that's a good feeling when your belly is full, especially when you know that it came from the Lord. But today, oh, we got to focus on this little lad right here, this little boy right here in his lunch. Um, again, you've heard this before, but hopefully you'll be encouraged uh, because you may learn a few things you've never known before about this passage. For some of us, this is brand new. Whatever the case, strap on your seatbelt, and let's look first and foremost at, I want to be like this lad. Oh, I want to be like this little boy right here. The Bible says that a child shall lead them. So, Lord, lead us today. Look at verse 6. It says, but 
This he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? What are they among 5,000 people out in the heat? Been here all day listening to preaching. What are they among so many? Well, the first thing I want you to see is that when the Bible in the New King James Version, which I read, calls this boy a lad, it is a Greek word, uh, paidarion, and it is a double diminutive. It's a double diminutive. Pastor, what does that mean? Something that is diminutive is something that is small. So it being a double diminutive means that it is something that is very small. So this was not just a small boy. This was a very small boy. So again, get, get, get in the picture in your mind that you are sitting out there around the cusp of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus and the disciples of the, are there. Thousands of people are there of all ages and all backgrounds, men and women, boys and girls. And there's this little boy, this very, very small boy who is going to offer up what is needed to feed the masses. Now, when I think of this little boy and when I see him in my, my mind's eye, I think of Cam Russ or Dylan Bell or Joseph Aiken, some of my little homeboys here at the church. You know, guys who have a heart for Jesus already at a young age and guys who would be willing to share their lunch if Jesus were to ask them. Now, many times kids are selfish. They don't always like to share. So when you find a kid ready to share, you know God is at work. And so he's a very, very little boy. So my question is, how did Andrew find this little boy? Because when Philip doesn't know what to do, as we said last week, he was the rational one. He was the analytical one. So as he looked at the ledger and the bank account of the disciples and what they had, he said, uh, this is not going to match up. And so Andrew becomes resourceful and he brings to Jesus this little, very little boy. And I'm like, how did he find him? Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us. And so I don't know whether he saw this little boy starting to eat his lunch because again, people were hungry. And so he saw him out there, you know, starting to, un, uh, you know, for us pulling back the aluminum foil. <laughs> Had the juice box right there, you know, he was pulling it back and Andrew said, hey, Little boy, can we have your lunch? And the little boy brought the lunch. Or perhaps he just put out a, a large clarion call to the masses, does anyone have any food? And this little child with childlike faith said, I'll bring what little bit I have. We don't know for sure how Andrew found him, but he found him. And this little boy gives us an example, Strong Tower, of how to give. How to give. So let's pay attention to his example as we look at a couple of principles on giving from this little boy. Number one, he gave everything. He gave his entire lunch to Andrew. Now, had that been me, I might have tried to keep one of them fish for myself. Come on now, let's tell the truth. 
Hey, we have a need. We got to feed everybody. Okay, you can take uh, three of my loaves and one of my fish. But no, the little boy gave all five loaves and two of the fish. He gave everything. And is that not the goal in giving? He did not pinch off 10% of the bread or 10% of the fish. Oh, boy, I tell you what. When you start talking about giving, it get quiet. <laughs> this is good encouragement and conviction on how to give. Bob just shared with us about a man named Moises who in Haiti had just received $40 when much of the world lives on less than $2 a day. And so he received enough to hold him for almost two months in a stubborn economy. And in church, he chooses to give everything back to God. And then I ask myself, what's my problem? Because that's the goal. And in Strong Tower, we talk about, yes, 10% is a great place to aim for and launch from in our giving, but the goal is, according to 2 Corinthians 8, to grow in the grace of giving. We just don't want to camp out at 10% or camp out at 5% or whatever. We want to keep growing in our giving, and not just to the Lord at church, but also when we're out in the street and we're going about our business to give because it's a blessing to give. This little boy gave everything, and he is an example to me and to all of us on how to give. It's like the widow with the two mites. It's, a, it's interesting how in the scriptures we see people who have literally nothing giving everything, but people who have everything literally give nothing. And so the widow, Jesus said, she put in more than anybody. She put in what was less than two pennies. The mite is less than a penny, less than one cent, and she gave everything she had. And so although the Pharisees and all these rich men, and they put in more of an amount than her, she put in more by way of sacrifice than they did. Because God is not after the amount, he's after the heart. He's not after the money, he's after the heart. For where the treasure is, that's where our hearts will be. And this woman put everything in, meaning that she trusted God for everything, and she wasn't trying to be impressive about it. And this little boy gave everything. But also he gave purposefully. He gave to meet a need. So when you hear about a need, and you hear about a need, and you hear about a need, and God begins to convict your heart. He's saying that because he wants you to give to the need. And the boy gave purposefully to help meet a need. But then I love this. Thirdly, he gave it to Jesus. He gave it to Jesus. Now, it passed through Andrew's hands, but it went to Jesus. Because we know that there are some people in the kingdom of God, in the church of Jesus, who don't believe in giving to Jesus or giving in the midst of organized religion because they're afraid of what Andrew has done with the money or what Andrew will do with the money. But that's where you got to get over the Andrews and the deacons and the elders and the pastors and even the ones who pimp the people of God. Because if they mess over, if we mess over the offering. God is a holy God. He's a consuming fire. He is not to be played with. So when you're giving to God at the church, you're not giving to Pastor Chris. You're not giving to the elders. You're giving to Jesus. The elders may be the ones who count it and disperse it out, but you ultimately give it to Jesus. Get over the, the human vessels. 
If you could, I wish you could make your checks payable to Jesus. I just don't know if SunTrust will recognize those checks. <laughs> so you got to make them payable to Jesus' church, Strong Tower. Because if Andrew went out there and collected the two fish and five loaves, and on the way to Jesus, put one of the fish in his pocket and put another loaf under his robe, do you think the Lord would have let him get away with that? No, God would have disciplined him for that. And so he's not to be played with and his offering is not to be played with. But in our mind, man, we are giving it to Jesus. We're not giving it to the church or to the elders or to the deacons. We're giving it to Jesus. Another thing, he gave without knowing what Jesus was going to do with the offering. He didn't know Jesus was going to multiply it. He didn't know Jesus was going to bless everybody with it. He gave it because he loved the Lord. He gave it out of obedience to the Lord. And some of us need to grow in our giving because we only want to give when we know what the church is going to do with the money. Uh, and if it doesn't approve of what we think the church should be doing with the money, we're not going to give our money. So we try to control the gift, have strings on it when we give it. But no, give it to Jesus, not knowing what he's going to do with it. Trust him. But then another thing is he gave without having to be known. We don't know his name, but he gave. The Lord didn't promise him a stained glass window with his name on it. He didn't promise him a pew with his name on it. He didn't promise to put his name in some founder's booklet that shows the people that gave 5,025. No, no, no. He just gave. We don't know his name. Matter of fact, this story is recorded in all four Gospels, and it's the only Gospel, John's, that even mentions there's a boy who jump-started the miracle that day. Matthew left him out. Mark left him out. Luke left him out. John mentions him, but doesn't even say his name. Some of us, oh, Lord, we, we, we want to be seen. We want to be known. But see, when you're a true giver, you don't want to be seen or known. We literally had to pull Eric out of the back to get him up in here. And then he ran right out. People who are givers, man, they don't want any fanfare, man. They just want to give and keep it quiet and keep it moving. Another thing about this young man that I love is that he gave and others were blessed by his gift. Because he gave, other people got to eat. When we give to God, ministry gets done locally, nationally, and internationally through the local church. Number seven, he gave without worrying if other people were going to give too. He didn't say, now, if I give this, are the rest of these people going to give? He just gave it because, again, God had impressed upon his heart to give it. And he didn't rubberneck to see who was given or who was not given. He just gave it. Now, as we read, there were at least 5,000 people here that day. Now, one person was a contributor that day. 4,999 of them were consumers that day. I don't know if you heard me. I'm going to say it one more time. One person was a contributor that day. 4,999 of them were consumers that day. There's no way you can tell me he was the only person out there that had food that day. Because if he's a little lad, that means his parents are with him. And if his parents are with him, who helped pack his lunch that day? I ain't going to pack a lunch for my kid and I pack one for myself. 
But when the call goes out, anybody got any food? Mm. <laughs> My little homie is like, yeah, I got some. And so, in most churches, not this one, they're usually more consumers than contributors. That old 80-20 rule where 20% of people do 80% of the giving, 20% of the people do 80% of the serving. We're selfish. We don't want to give. We miss the joy of giving. Jesus could have rained down bread that day, but he wanted people to participate in the miracle with him. So when we don't give, we don't get to participate in the joy of seeing God do something great. He doesn't need us, but he will allow us to accompany him in doing his work. And sometimes it's good to sit back and say, man, I was a part of that by the grace of God. I gave money to that ministry. I gave money to that church. I'm a part of what's going on by the grace of God. But for some of us, we don't have that testimony because we're always consuming and receiving. And you're not off the hook. We usually try to say, okay, man, if I give, as Pastor uh, Gary said last week, you know, he looked at his budget and he looked at what was coming in. He was like, man, if I give, I don't know if I'm going to make it. But he said, I'm going to trust God because God says, test me in this. And he gave God the first fruit and he has not lacked ever, not since that day ever. But some of us look at our numbers and we look at what's coming in and we're like, I can't afford to give. No, you can't afford not to give. Even if it's a mite, even if it's a penny, you give it. Have the joy of giving something to Jesus to give back to him, acknowledging that all things come from him. And unless your name is Jerry Rice, you shouldn't always have to be a receiver all of the time. <laughs> be a giver, be a giver, be a giver. Number seven, he gave and was abundantly blessed. Give and it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. You know, when, when you give sacrificially and you give, uh, 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 when you give a lot, the Bible says God will give back to you. Again, we don't give for that reason, but it's a law of the kingdom. And so he gave everything and he got back abundant. Pastor, what do you mean? Look at verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. That's a buffet. When you can not only eat your first plate, but you can go back for a second plate. Oh, oh, this is God opening up the windows of heaven and pouring out a blessing that they don't even have room enough to receive because the next verse says they couldn't even eat all the food that was there. They had leftovers. So they went from being starving folk, hungry folk, with nothing out there to having full bellies and leftovers enough for each disciple to take a, a, a plate home. You know we like taking plates home. They can take a plate home. That's what God can do but it jump-started with a meager gift. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 18, 4, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom. Lord, I want to be like this little boy who gave everything, who gave purposefully, 
who gave to Jesus, who gave without knowing what Jesus would even do with it, who gave without having to be known, who, who gave and others were blessed by the gift, who gave without worrying if other people were going to give too, and he gave and was abundantly blessed. Lord, I want to be like him. Thank you for him, Lord. But secondly and finally, I also want to be like his lunch. I just don't want to be like him. I want to be like his lunch. Look at John 6, 9. There is a lad here who has what? Five barley loaves and two small fish. I want to be like this boy's lunch. You see, barley loaves were considered the inferior bread of the day. It was called the poor man's wheat. So there's the wheat harvest and there's the barley harvest. There's bread made from barley and then there's bread made from wheat. The bread made from barley is called the poor man's wheat. Now, I don't know about you when you were growing up, but we didn't know anything about no wheat bread. I didn't know about wheat bread till we got married. And I didn't know about wheat bread until we came back off the honeymoon and we had to go to the grocery store together. I grew up eating the bunny bread, just the straight white bread, just straight white, all starch, nothing healthy in it at all. You go get a fish sandwich, you have some mayonnaise on this side or some mustard and your fish, and, and that's how you, the white bread, thin, thin bread. Stick to the roof of your mouth, bread. That's what I grew up on. Didn't know nothing else. Didn't know nothing else. We get in the grocery store, newlyweds, skipping through the aisles. We go down the bread aisle. I grab the white bread. She said, oh, we don't eat that. Talking about wheat bread. Wheat bread got them little kernels and seeds and stuff in it. I'm like, what? And so some of our first fights <laughs> happened in the grocery store because I grew up eating the poor man's wheat bread. And though less tasty than wheat, barley had the distinct advantage of being resistant to drought and maturing quickly in poor soil. Although it was used primarily to feed horses and livestock, Farmers took comfort in knowing the barley could be used, and I got this out of a commentary this week, as food stuff. Food stuff. I said, now, Lord, what is food stuff? So I looked food stuff up. Food stuff is, it ain't really food, but it's edible. <laughs> it ain't really nutritious, but you can eat it and not die. <laughs> then it made me think, Tabitha, of cheese food. I'm telling on myself. I, we grew up with government cheese. Let's just say amen. But when you couldn't get government cheese, not government, government cheese, you go in the grocery store and the real cheese costs this much and the cheese food costs this much. I would grab that cheese food because it was yellow. It looked like the other cheese. I'm going to melt it anyway on my eggs or whatever. And so you get the cheese stuff. And so this was food stuff. It wasn't even real stuff, but it, you, know, you, you could eat it. And so this stuff was the stuff that when the wheat harvest didn't come in, you thank God for the barley harvest because the barley was going to grow through concrete. That's just how the barley was. 
Barley bread would be offered to soldiers who were being punished for missing an assignment. So if you blew an assignment, you knew you were going to get barley bread and not wheat bread for dinner that night. This is the bread of peasants. So this little boy, again, very small boy with a poor offering, the Lord said, I can do something with it. You see, Gideon was a barley loaf. Remember now he's going into the camp of the Midianites and they talk about this dream they had. They said, man, this barley loaf. And even people in the world that day, nobody ate barley unless you were poor. This barley loaf rolled into our camp and destroyed all of us. And somebody said, that must be Gideon and the Lord with Gideon. Gideon heard that vision and he said, the Lord is on our side. But he was equated to a barley loaf. David was a barley loaf. His own father did not think he was king material. Well, Samuel said, um, do you have any more sons? Because the assignment was bring all your sons before me and I will find out which one the Lord says is the king. So he brings all these boys along and the Lord says, no, 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 no. Samuel has to ask, do you have any more? Uh, Jesse says, yeah, I got one more. He out in the field with the sheep though. Go ahead and get him. I won't sit down till you bring him. And so his own father overlooked the potential that his own son had. He was like barley. He, he was useless. He, he was left out, but God said, I'm going to use him. And Jesus himself is a barley loaf because later on in this chapter, he's going to declare that I'm the bread of life. But they didn't want to eat that bread because that bread didn't come from some palace somewhere. They didn't want to eat that bread because he didn't come through all of the rabbinical schools like all the other Pharisees. So, so, so he was beneath them. So they couldn't eat that bread. Well, I tell you what, they're starving right now in eternity without Jesus because they would not consume him by faith. And if we're honest, we're all barley loaves, if we can admit it. 1 Corinthians 1, God says, when I called you, I didn't call many of y'all who were smart. I didn't call many of y'all who were rich or of noble birth. I called the poor. I called the ones who were born ignobly so that I can get the glory. But when we prance around thinking that we wheat bread, instead of admitting, Lord, I'm barley, I don't have anything to bring to the table, Lord, use me. God's like, I can use you now. But when we think we're something, God can't use us and he won't use us. And so this boy had the barley bread. And he just reminds us, man, be careful about who you look over. Because the people you look over and count out and don't want to include may be the very ones that God is going to include and use and empower. He loves picking the underdog. That's why he picked you. Oh, let's humble ourselves, Lord. Then the two fish. This is also in the diminutive tense. Not the double diminutive, but the diminutive tense, meaning that his fish were small fish which means that they were probably pickled fish that had come out of the Sea of Galilee. And today we call those small fish sardines. Oh, my. Fish in a can, sardines. Andrew said, okay, I, I got this boy. He got this poor bread, and he's two small fish. And he asked the question, but what are they among so many? In other words, what good is this? Can't do anything to help anybody. What good is this, Lord? 
And the Lord is like, bring it to me. Because what may not be up to par to you is something that I can use. Something that you despise is something that I'm about to promote and bless. Something, again, that you overlook and you think, oh, no, it's useless. The Lord is like, no, I, I can work on it because once I put my hands on it, I can transform it into something it could never be without my touch. Because as I work towards a close, I want to let you know it's all about whose hand it's in. Andrew's hands, Lord, what are these? Jesus' hands, bring it to me. Because it all depends on whose hand it's in. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 41. This will be a good message to talk with your children about today at lunch. Verse 41, it says, And when he had taken the five loaves, were they wheat or barley loaves? Barley, right? And the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all, so they all ate and were filled. What are these amongst so many? Give them to me. We see here that Jesus took the offering. He blessed the offering. He broke the offering. He multiplied the offering. Then he used the offering. You may not have got it, so I'm going to throw it in repeat. He took it. He blessed it. He broke it. He multiplied it. He used it. Lord, make me like this lunch. Lord, would you take me? Would you bless me? And even though I don't want you to break me, I know that I can't be multiplied until you break me. So break me, multiply me, and use me. I want to be used, but you can't use me till you take me, till you bless me, till you break me, you multiply me, and you use me. Lord, make me like this lunch because I may not have much. I may not be much. But like you took some bread, an inanimate object, Lord, take me that's been made in your image. Take me that's been born again after your spirit. Take me, Lord. Take the bread that nobody wanted. Take this child that nobody wanted. When my mother and my father have forsaken me, then the Lord will take me. Take me, Lord, because if you take me, it don't matter where I've been. It doesn't matter who had their hands on me first. You take me, Lord. You take me. You take me. You take me. Put your hands on me, Jesus. I was insignificant, but when you put your hands on me, Lord, I'll be somebody. And then, Lord, would you bless me? Eulogeo, speak kindly over. Jonathan said it last week that we have the kind of God who rejoices over us with singing. And he sings about how precious we are to him. As we sing how precious he is to us, he rejoices over us with singing. And he tells us how much we are his own and how much he loves us. He speaks kindly over us. And in John chapter 6, when Jesus blessed it, saying the traditional Hebrew prayer, that was a prayer of thanksgiving. So Jesus was thanking God for the little bit. He was blessing God for the little bit before God even multiplied it to much. And sometimes we don't understand why God hasn't multiplied our little bit. Are we even thankful for the little bit? And when I see myself as a little bit, God says, I'm thankful for you, Chris, because you see yourself as small. But man, I'm about to make you great. 
It's the people who they see themselves as great that, again, God can't do anything with. And so he speaks a blessing over me. He thanks God for me. Then he breaks me. Mm. Oh, God, it hurts when you break me. But I got to trust your hands because there's a purpose in the breaking. What's the purpose in the breaking? He is breaking me so that he can multiply me. So that I can reach more and more people. But if I stay singular, then my scope of reaching others is limited. But he must break me to expand me. He must put his hands on me and break me so that he can multiply me. And then, Lord, I want you to use me. Because when people ate this food, they were full. Help me, Lord, that when I walk into a room, I don't draw the energy out of the room, but Lord, I'm by your grace and through your spirit, who's a life-giving spirit, I bring energy in the room so that when I come, because I've been in your hands, you took me, you blessed me, you broke me, you multiplied me. When I walk in, people can feed off of my life because my life is in you. So when they drink out of my cup, they're drinking living water. When they chew off of my life, they're getting the living bread. They're getting God. Use me, God, to be a blessing in the lives of others. Because when you put a meager offering in your hand, it, it all depends on whose hand is in. Andrew could do nothing with this. But, Lord, you could. Humanism, positive thinking, all that stuff, trying to be the man and, and build yourself up, going after material things, that stuff can't really change your life. But if you take me in your hands, my God, you see a tennis racket in my hand is a weapon. <laughs> but a tennis racket in Serena Williams' hand leads to being ranked number one in the world for 313 weeks along with a record 39 major titles because it all depends on whose hand it's in. A musical instrument in my hand makes noise. But a musical instrument in Quincy Jones's hand leads to a record 79 Grammy Award nominations. Because it all depends on whose hand it's in. Black hair care products in my hands are harmful. <laughs> but black hair care products in Madam C.J. Walker's hand makes her America's first self-made female millionaire. A paintbrush in my hand leads to a mess, but a paintbrush in Ernie Barnes's hand manufactures a masterpiece. A scalpel in my hand is ruinous, but a scalpel in Dr. Daniel Hale Williams' hand performs the world's first successful open heart surgery in 1893 because it all depends on whose hand it's in. A writing pen in my hand is anticlimactic, but a writing pen in Phyllis Wheatley's hand leads her to being the first published African-American female poet in the world. A baseball bat in my hand is a piece of wood, but a baseball bat in Jackie Robinson's hand is a tool to break the color barrier of Major League Baseball in 1947, allowing him to also win the Rookie of the Year award the same year. And two years later in 1949, to become the first African-American to win the MVP award. Because it all depends on whose hand it's in. So two fish and five loaves in Andrew's hand 
What are these amongst so many? I can't do anything with this. But two fish and five loaves in the hands of Jesus is able to be used to feed 5,000 and even more. And even to, to fill up so much that they take up leftovers by the way of 12 basketfuls. Because it all depends on whose nail-scarred hands we're in. I'm so glad to be in his hands. Hmm. And he's the kind of prophet, messiah, and priest who practices what he preaches. Because as he wants us to be in his hands, he placed himself in his father's hands. But because he said, Father, while on the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit. Can you say without a shadow of a doubt that you are in the hands of the Lord? Oh, what peace we have, what hope we have, what potential we have. But if you're not in his hands, you're in trouble. America can't save you. Money can't save you. Being black, being white, being male, being female, none of that can save you. Only being in the hands of God can change the entire quality of your life. As you stand to your feet, I want you to pray with me. Lord, such a simple message, but very profound. Today we saw what you can do through a little boy who yields himself to you. We also saw what can happen when meager elements are placed in your hands. You can do more with it than any man could. For those of us, Lord, who know you, who are disciples of yours, we thank you for the admonishment today. We thank you for the encouragement to grow in our giving for the right reasons, to grow in our giving. I pray that you would bless this church because, Lord, it's not about the money. It's always about the heart. It's not about the bills. It's not about giving statements. It's about us participating with you in the work of the kingdom. Whether we have two pennies to give or two million to give. I pray that you'll find in this church willing givers, joyful givers, givers like Moises who will smile and trust you. Lord, I can't wait to meet him to hear what you did. Because he tested you. Thank you, Lord, that Strong Tower again had a chance to peek into the global church and not just be focused on where we are in Davidson County. And I thank you that you use the global church and many times the poorer church to teach us a lesson that you can use a little boy to teach us a lesson. May it not fall on deaf ears, God. You've blessed us to be a blessing and we pray that you would multiply us as believers. Lord, sometimes the breaking process is so hard, but may we not forget there's a purpose in the breaking 
just like when you prune us, you're doing it so we can bear more fruit. You want us to reach more and more people with the grace that reaches us. So may we not despise the breaking because it makes the multiplying that much more sweet. With everyone praying before we leave, if you would say, Pastor Chris, would you pray for me? I want to be in the hands of Jesus. I'm not sure if I am his and he is mine. Would you pray for me, Pastor Chris, that I can place my life in the hands of Jesus? Whatever that means, but I can give my life to Jesus the way that boy gave his lunch to Jesus. I want to be in his hand. If Christians praying for you, would you at this time just lift your hand so I can see that's you? Pastor, I want to be in the Lord's hand. Amen, I see that hand. The Lord sees the heart. Is there anyone else? I want to be in his hand. I see those two hands. Hallelujah. Before we go home, would you pray this prayer? Lord Jesus, here I am. Take me as I am. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Reveal your purpose in my life. Make me a new person. Thank you, Jesus. My faith is in you, in Jesus' name. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need a church home. And I think, you know what, this may be the place for me. With Christians praying, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. We just want to pray with you and for you. Hopefully you can make the class in a couple weeks because you need to be a part of a family. An imperfect family, but with a perfect Savior. You say, Pastor, you know what? Pray for me, man. I'm thinking about maybe this is my church home. Would you raise your hand so I can see that? Thinking about it? See those hands? See that hand? Amen. See those hands? It's a good thing when the Spirit moves on your heart. Amen. Father, thank you for this time. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. As you remain standing, we'll receive our benediction. Who's bringing our benediction this morning? Okay, Sister Jackie's bringing the benediction.